Welcome to the MOH Podcast. Hi there, I'm Jim Patton, your host, and uh, we're ready for another Winky Tape today. I've got another uh, episode that was going to be uh, brought to you from the Readly Revivals. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you have to listen to one of the earlier ones. I mentioned it, and uh, it's a very old tape. In other words, it's probably from mid-1971, and Winky is teaching a, a bunch of new converts, and he's teaching them about various topics. Today, the uh, topic he's uh, supposed to be talking as uh, talking about is the attributes of God. Um, in a way, this is uh, nothing more. This is this. I would compare this to, let's say, a, a movie trailer. Uh, you're not seeing the whole movie. You're just getting a trailer, just a little bit to whet your appetite, and. Uh, it's, it's very hard for him to do this, I know. He's only got one hour to present uh, everything there is to know about God. <laughs> and so, obviously, he's not going to be able to do that. But if this does uh, whet your appetite and you want to hear more, there's a couple of ways you can find out more about this uh, from Winky. Uh, if you want to go to winkypratney.com, that's winkypratney.com or winkypratney.net, both, uh, both URLs will take you to the same place. Uh, you can you can download uh, full high-res versions. You can purchase a high-res version of these videos. Uh, now, the videos are not taken from this audio, but the, the series, uh, which is called Absolutes of Wonder. Uh, and there are a number of versions of this uh, out there. I have uh, this version I'm talking about now is a 10-part series. I have uh, an audio version that's uh, 17 parts. Uh, he's done it at various times. Not not a lot, but at various times, and there's a lot of different versions. But if you want one that you could show perhaps in your church or uh, at a home group where you can put it on a big screen, you can get a high-res version at uh, winkypratney.com. Just look for Absolutes of Wonder. Um, if you'd rather uh, uh, just see it for yourself and you want to watch on your phone or something like that, there's a low-res version. Not as high quality, but it's still you can still watch it. Uh, and you can find that at moh.org. Uh, moh Go to moh.org, moh.org, and look on our video page and look for Absolutes of Wonder, and you'll see a 10-part series there. And uh, right now, again, uh, last year we had a, a major... Um, uh, somebody hacked into our website, and we lost a bunch of stuff and had to rebuild the website and all that, and we've mentioned that before, but... Um, because of that, we don't have the audio versions available right now. Um, we're slowly replacing them with these podcasts. Um, I, I know it, it seems like, well, why don't you just put them all back up? Well, it's it's not that easy for me anyway. Uh, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to prepare these and get them ready. So we don't have those ready. Um, if there's a demand for it, I could I could put these out in a podcast and I could put the full the full 17. <laughs> our version, but I, I don't know that that's going to be something that people are going to want to listen to that much. But today's is, uh, again, it's a good uh, trailer to kind of show you the kind of things that uh, you can learn about the Lord from the Bible. And uh, he mentions, once again, he mentions a track in there called The King and His Kingdom. That's available at moh.org, and I'll put a link in the description on the on the Podbean um uh, episode uh, to I'll, I'll put I guess I'll put links to all these things to the to the winkypratney.com moh.org and and the absolutes of wonder and to this uh, king and his kingdom 
And uh, it's a little tough because sometimes Winky is talking about things. You'll hear him writing a lot on the chalkboard. And so you don't see a lot of the things. One of the things I know in the early part of the the, the audio tape, um, he, he makes some descriptions. He says, God is like this and not like this. And he's writing on the board. Um, and I, I can only give you a kind of a... a, a a description of what he's writing and tell you what he's doing. For instance, uh, and I don't know which ones he's writing because he, he doesn't say, but I've seen them. I've seen him do this uh, stuff a lot of times. Uh, one thing he does, for instance, when he talks about the Godhead, he'll put, uh, he'll put an equation on the board and he'll say one plus one plus one equals three. And then he'll say one times one times one equals one. And he'll say God is more like the multiplication than the addition because if you uh, take uh, one of those ones in the multiplication table and turn it into a zero, if you have one times one times zero, well, you end up with zero. Uh, he also does um, past plus present plus future equals time. And he'll say if you took out any one of those, you don't have uh, you don't have time. If you took out the past, you don't have time. If you took out the present, so on. Uh, and again, I'm not sure which one he's writing on the board, but he, he does an equation like that uh, when he gives this session. So you just have to kind of imagine that. Uh, you also can't see when he draws his little two-dimensional man on the board, um, but, but that's okay. Uh, one of the things he does mention, for those of you who are, uh, again, uh, maybe new to the faith and you're just learning to take notes, um, when Winky gives a session, oftentimes he gives a lot of verses, a lot of scriptures. And you might find that true in your own life. You can even go to church and you're, you're taking uh, notes. You might hear a lot of uh, verses mentioned. And we have a, we normally, um, the way most of us are taught to do it, the way I was originally taught, you would write out something like John, J-O-H-N, and then you say uh, three colon 16, John three sixteen. Um, a couple things you can do to help when you're writing out notes uh, as fast as you can. Uh, you can use abbreviations, like for instance, uh, for John, instead of writing J-O-H-N, you could just write J-N. Uh, and if you got into, say, the epistles and you did first John, you just write number one and then J-N. Uh, for the book of James, you could write uh, J-S or J-M or something that tells you what it is. Uh, for Genesis, you could write G-E-N or even G-E. You can use two and three uh, letter abbreviations uh, as long as they're uh, as long as they're unique to the the uh, as long as you can remember I guess as long as it's unique and you can remember what it's referring to um, and then uh, so you can shorten up the name and then instead of using the colon between the chapter and verse uh, write what's called a superscript that's where you uh, Write a smaller number, just a little bit above and to the right. Like when you, if you've ever took any kind of math and you've uh, uh, heard about uh, exponential things, something exponential, they say it would be like 10 to the fourth power. You would write like 10 and then up to the right and a little bit smaller of the zero in 10, you'd write a number four. So you do that with your, with your uh, verses too. Instead of writing three colon, because it takes two dots to write the colon, and that takes up time when you're <laughs> making notes. Uh, instead of writing those two little colons, the two dots for the colon, just write John 3 and then slightly above and to the right the number 16. 
And if it's, you know, uh, 16 through 18, you do the same. You write 16 dash or hyphen 18. But that'll help uh, note making just go a little bit faster. And uh, you might need that even just listening to this one, uh, one session here. Anyway, so this is uh, from 1971 in Reedley, California. Uh, Winky talking about the attributes of God. And uh, I've talked long enough, so let's go ahead and get started. We are going to do a very quick study of who God is. This is an impossible session here. I have to do in 45 minutes a complete study on God, which is ridiculous. A study of who God is is the largest subject in the Bible. Could happily go a year and never exhaust it. You could happily go through eternity and never exhaust it. So here we are going to cover the whole thing about God in 45 minutes, so you really have to study this evening. Let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. And uh, I want you to write fast tonight because we're just going to give a brief overall coverage. I'm going to come in a little more detail on some particular uh, parts of God that will help us understand the person we're talking about when we talk about the King of the Kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for bringing us back here again this afternoon to look at your own love and to look at your own self. Now, Father, I pray tonight that you'll open up our minds further. We understand who you are. Give us a clarity of vision. This is a large and vast subject, and no man is sufficient to teach on who you are. But we need to know who you are so that we can present intelligently to young people around us who the king of the kingdom is. We praise you that you are a king, and we thank you that you've called us to be your children, to be princes and princesses in your own royal family. Now we look to you, our Father and our King. Show us a little of yourself that we may know and understand who you are, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The Bible begins with a very beautiful thing. It begins by telling us, and you can find this right in the very, very beginning of your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. Had to start anywhere in the Bible. Begin at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God. That's where it begins. The whole of the Bible. In the beginning, God. And understand, this is the beginning of all that we know and all that we can understand and all that we can experience. And when that all began, for us, God was there. So here's where it all starts. God has always been here. He did not make himself. He has always been here. And nobody made him, which is even more mind-blowing. Now, I can pick up anything in this room, and I can trace it to a time when it wasn't. We can pick up our pencils, our pens, your Bibles. You can go back a little bit in the succession of events we call time and come to a place where the thing that you have did not exist in the form that you had it now. Not only that, all things that you see, including the seats you're sitting on and the bodies you're living in, decay and change. If you all lived to be 150 years, which you probably wouldn't, after 150 years, you'll probably find that the bodies that you now have, unless something happens 
in the Bible, which the Bible talks about, namely God coming back and taking all his kids and splitting. Uh, if you all live normal lives, the bodies you're living in would decay and change. So every single material thing is subject to decay, to change. The whole of the universe is under a universal law of degradation. The sun is running down. The universe's energies are running down. And you know jolly well that your energies are running down. Mine's <laughs> just about ran right out this day. Material things change and decay. You can't pick up anything solid or material and, and think this is going to be everlasting. It is not. It's as simple as that. And when we come to God, we do not find a material being. We find a being... Bible tells us the ultimate reality behind the universe is not material, it's not physical, it is not matter, it is spirit. If you wanted to do it in three stages, you could go like this. Matter, beyond matter is energy, and beyond that, energy is spirit. That's, you could say ultimately, the ultimate reality behind the universe is spirit. And not just any spirit. And not just sort of a ghostly floating spirit, but a very marvelous truth is revealed to us in the Bible. And that is that spiritual reality that lies behind the universe is a friendship of three divine persons. One called the Father, another one called the Son, and another one called the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a number of scriptures here. Uh, tomorrow, Tony's going to be bringing you up a little sheet called The King and His Kingdom, and you can look up all the scriptures in those. We're going to give you some tonight. But the basic thing about this spiritual... Let's, let's say basic reality behind the universe, then is a friendship of three divine persons the Bible calls God. Now, a couple of things about this. The Father the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct from each other. They are distinct personalities. But they are not separated from each other. And this is a, a sort of very key core concept in the Scriptures. If you can grasp this, you can see the uniqueness of the Bible picture of God. If we were just talking about God on this side of the line, we could say there is only one God You see, these personalities are not separate from each other, but they're distinct. And let me explain what I mean. The Bible thing is not, I don't think, this. That's not what the Bible says. It says something like this, I believe. See that? Now let me explain the difference. We could say that past and present and future are all equal to time. Can you see how past and present and future are distinct but not separate? 
They're all part of that one great concept we call time. Can you see that you could take past and say that is different from present? And the present is different from the future. In other words, the present is not the past, the past is not the future, they're all distinct. But you cannot say that past is not time, or that present is not time, or future is not time. You can simply say that past, present, and future are all time, but they are not each other. And yet they are dependent on each other, interdependent. What would happen if you pulled out present, so that there was no present? What's the answer to this? Zero. See? So if you pull out one of these interdependent unities, the whole three go, boom, vanish, see? And, and the same thing would happen if you pulled out the past. If you said, all right, we'll remove past so it no longer exists. The whole entity goes. Do you see how they are distinct and yet a unity? It's not a contradiction. I'll give you another illustration that will help explain this a little bit. We say that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. We say they are one in substance, in essential nature. Not only one in purpose, uh, in one in motive, one in the way they act towards man, one in their attributes. We say they are an essential nature or basic being. They are one. And yet they are distinct, just like this. I could put this substance with a chemical formula of H2O, and I could put here three distinctly different kinds of manifestations of that. I could put ice, I could put water, I could put steam. Now, most of you know there's a difference between ice and steam. See, one is a cold, hard solid, another is water, is a tepid liquid, steam is a hot vapor. And you know the difference. If you ever dive into a steam bath or dive into an ice bath, you'll sure tell the difference. But they are all the same thing. Do you see that? They are distinctly different. But they are the same in essence and substance. Now this is a, it's a weird concept, but that's the very heart of the scriptures. You can't mess with the Bible and throw out one or other of those things without actually messing with what the Bible says God is like. And it's a very important concept, and we'll show you why in a little second. Let's give you some scriptures on it first. I want to start on this side of the line and talk about the fact that there is only one God. Christians do not worship three different gods. Uh, write down some of these scriptures, please. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubim, you are the God, even you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. That's 2 Kings 19 and 15. Psalm 86 and verse 10. And this is a song that we have. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me to do thy will, O Lord. And Isaiah 27, verses 16 and 20. Isaiah 27, verses 16 and 20. O Lord God of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubim, you are the God, even you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, even you only. There is no other gods. 
that are larger or the equivalent of the God of the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 35, we read these words, The Lord, He is God. There is none else besides Him. Isaiah 44 verse 8. Isaiah 44 verse 8. By the way, while we're um, talking about this, when you're writing down, this thing I was freaking out here, Jim. When you're putting down scriptures, just lift it like that. It, see, instead of putting two little dots, Isaiah 44 dot dot and then 8. Just lift it up. Throw that 8 up there and it's faster. You won't have to put your little dots in because we're going to give you screens of scriptures here. There is none beside the God of the scriptures. 2 Samuel 7.22. You do it like this. 2 Sam... What was it? 7.22. <laughs> like that. See? Like that. Is that 7? Yes, it was. Wherefore you are great, O Lord God. There is none like thee, neither is there any God besides you. Goodness. Still freaking out, Jim. <laughs> Keep our sound man down there. Hosea 13, verse 4. Yeah, 13, verse 4. Yet I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. None with God. Scriptures tell us there's nobody with God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I am, I, even I am he, there is no God with me. And the, you could go on like this all over the place. Exodus 23. There's no gods before this God. You shall have no other gods before me. And Isaiah 43, verse 10. Sign this God has always been here. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord. My servants, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed. Now, what about some of these other gods? There's Eastern gods. The other pictures of God. The Bible God says this. Exodus 8, verse 10. You may know there is none like unto the Lord our God. So there's no other God that's even like this God. And uh, let's look at this one. Deuteronomy 33, verse 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshua. Uh, 1 Chronicles 17, 20. O Lord, there is none like thee. 1 Chronicles 17, 20. Isaiah 40, verse 18, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? All of these scriptures, uh, that was uh, Isaiah 40, verse 18, all of these scriptures tell us there is no God like the Bible God. Yeah, 40, verse 18. 40, 40. Not 14, 40. Now, if we were just going to go through the Bible and read all these verses, and you'd, you'd come up with screeds and screeds of them about there is only one God, there is only one basic God, and that's, you, you'd find all of these verses. And that would make it all very nice and simple if you read all those.
But you will find an equal number of scriptures scattered through the Bible that talk about this trinity of personalities. Now, never use the word trinity because it's not a Bible word. Use the Bible word, which is Godhead. I'll tell you why you ought not to use the word trinity. If you use the word trinity, one, you're not using a biblical word, it's a theological word. Secondly, if you use the word trinity, you'll run into one class of people who really react strongly to the word trinity because in their training sessions, the word trinity is uh, geared into their minds so that if you say trinity, they freak out. They absolutely do. So don't use it. And you'll find you can talk quite intelligently about this if you don't use the word trinity. And uh, that's what you ought to do. Don't use the word trinity. Um, let's look at some of these scriptures now. And remember, we're looking at the other side of the line. All right, one, Genesis 1.26. Somebody just on offhand chance, tell me what that means, what that says. Genesis 1.26. What does it say, Larry? Let us make uh, a man our own. <laughs> Let us not just throw towel, let us make man, God, God in our own image. Let's, let us make man in our own image. Now, here's the Bible starts off, one God, see, and then it says, let us make man in our image. Boom. Who is this us thing? See? Right there, we switch over, and we see the other side of the line. So, what we have to do is just simply think in terms of one God, one in essence, substance, and that one God is a trinity of personalities. A Godhead is Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I usually say a divine friendship of three distinct but not separate persons. The Bible says, let us make man after our image. And Genesis 3, verse 22. God says, behold, man has become as one of us. Genesis 11, verse 7. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Genesis 11, 7. Daniel 9, 17 is an interesting verse. Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications and cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. See that freak? Boom, you know. Oh, Lord, you know, hear the prayer for the Lord's sake. Now, wham. Do, do you see what's happening here? You can talk to one member of the Trinity, and they're all Lord, they're all called God. See, on this side of the line, they're the same. On that side, they're distinct. Here's another scripture. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 12. And I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Boom! You know, there's that thing again. Zechariah 2, verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 2, 8 and 9. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me to the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you, touches the apple of his eye. 
For behold, I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. That's the Lord speaking. Who is this thing here? All right, here's another one. Isaiah 48, verse 16. Come ye near unto me, and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. All right, here's this eternal God. Now listen to the rest of the scripture. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Now, how do you handle that on the basis of just this side of the equation? You can't. You've got to shift back, see? Who is speaking? The Son, see? There I am from the beginning, from eternity I've been here, and now the Lord God and His Spirit has sent me. And it's the Lord speaking. Is there hints of this divine friendship of three personalities? Yes, number six. Verses 24 to 26 gives it sort of a threefold blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his countenance, his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Matthew 28. You looked at some Old Testament passages. 28 and verse 19. Listen to these words. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. All right, let's look at some other goodies. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost. That's a benediction. Be with you all. Amen. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 2.7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, as the Lord speaking, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, I want you to notice something interesting about this son. He has always been here, right from the beginning of time. We had a special session on the son alone. We'd, we'd show how he is eternal. He has always been the Godhead. But one unique thing happened. This son, at a space-time point in earth history, became a man. And so there was a space-time point in history where the second person of the Godhead actually became a man. And there was a time when he was born or begotten. See, and that's, I'm glad he was. He was. I really, really am. There are a lot of scriptures reading through... Uh, you know, you can glance all the way through the Bible. You'll fear, find a number of very freaky passages that are impossible to understand. Remember we read one this morning? For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and you shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Prince of Peace, 
the everlasting Father has a son. Do you see what a weird thing? The only way we can possibly explain that is to do something like I've done on the board. Now, it may not be the best kind of explanation there is, but that's the only one I know how to do. And we can say the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they are all God. All right? Now, why is this important? Because that's where the whole base of reality is. The Bible tells us a beautiful thing then, looking at this. It tells us that before time ever was, there was always love and friendship. Before the earth was created, before the universe was put together, there has always been love and friendship in the universe. And love and friendship are possible because this great creator God is a friendship of three divine persons. All right? And they can talk to each other. They can communicate, if you want to use those words. Therefore, not only love, but communication is part of reality. Communication is breaking down today. People, you know, when you get really existential, some of you understand a little existential, when you get really existential, you can't even talk to anybody. There's no way of communicating what you have. You see this in some of the paintings. Some guys tried to paint paintings that paint the universal, and they couldn't, they painted so universally that nobody could understand what they're talking about. They lost their communication. And here is God. He says that behind the universe, there's always communication. We can talk to each other, and not only can we talk to each other, but we can talk to God, because he understands what this is like. Now, when man is made then, if the ultimate reality behind the whole material universe is a friendship that of divine persons that can talk to each other and love each other, then it is possible for me to be loved this way and to talk this way. Now this is what the one thing, the tremendous advantage the Christian picture gives over the East and the West. The East had personal gods, but they were little. This is the West. They had rather had personal little gods. The East always had an infinite God, but it, it was impersonal. There was no real personality. The Bible God is neither Eastern nor Western. He is the God of all flesh. And He is both a person and He is infinite. How many of you roughly understand what we've done? Do you see this? You see, the important part is that, and just very practically, imagine if God was just a cosmic everything. I go up and look there, and my one great ambition could be to be part of that cosmic everything, but I'd lose me. I wouldn't be a person. See that? The Christian God, I can look at the universe, it's very big and very scary, but I know this divine friendship is taking care of that whole thing. So when I look at the universe and I look at the world around us, I don't have to be scared of it. I know behind everything there is a person, a real person. And that this friendship of persons can actually take care of me, can talk to me, can love me, can show me what he has in his heart. All right, that's that part there. Now, I think that's probably the base. If you get that, you've got about half the Bible 
But to understand that is something else, you know. So just look up the scriptures in the Bible. You'll find a number there that are very mind-blowing unless we just take this basic idea for granted, all right? Now, just tell you a couple things more about God. One of the basic things we have to talk about God, remember we used the word moral? We talked about moral law. I want to tell you what people need to have to be called moral, and we'll see that God is like that. One, they've got to be able to think. Two, have to be able to feel. Three, they have to be able to decide or to choose. And that cho choice has to be free choice. And four, they must have some knowledge of right and wrong. And the Bible calls that light. That's what it takes to make a moral person. In other words, if somebody's going to be controlled not by force, but by influence, by direction, by presenting to their minds what is right, they must have three abilities. They must be able to think, feel, and choose. And then they must have knowledge of what is right in order to decide. Now, God is able to think, to feel, to choose, and he knows a great deal about what is right. You'll see that he knows everything there know, is to know about that. Just look at a uh, couple of scriptures here, if I can find them in my sheets. Hundreds of sheets here. Goodness. I lost all the ones I needed. Um... Look at, in the Bible, any one of these passages, Isaiah 1.18 will do. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come, let us reason together. That's a marvelous thing. God can think, and he wants us to share some of, his, of our little thoughts with us with him, see? He says, come, let us reason together. You use your little mind, I'll use mine. And we'll, you know? Now, to look at God in his infinity would be to blow your mind. You say, oh, you know, how can... But he's a person, so are you. Therefore, there's a way for him to speak to you. An atheist said this to a Christian philosopher, what sense does it make for a man to become an ant and to die for the ants in order to save the ants? He said, no sense at all. And that is true. No sense at all. But you see, man is not related to the ants. But God is related to man. And there's the difference. And it makes an awful lot of sense for God to become man and die for man because we have been made in God's image. As God thinks, so can we think. Come, let us reason together, he said. We have been made in God's image. As God thinks, so can we think. Come, let us reason together, he says. Secondly, God feels. I want you to look up that script. There's a scripture in Zechariah, and I want you to look it up if you can. It's uh, Zechariah 1, 14 to 16, and somebody look up uh, Zephaniah three seventeen. Could you look up those two, and I want you to read them out. Zephaniah... 317, Zechariah 1, 14 to 16.
when you get that one, I want you to read those two verses out. And let's just add this choice while you're looking it up. Can you think of a scripture we mentioned the last, uh, last few minutes about God deciding to do something? Genesis. Can you remember God deciding to do something? Yeah, make man. So he said, let us make man. That's a decision. So God has a choice. He has the ability to choose. He didn't say, I am forced to make man. He said, let us make man. See that? And light. Knowledge of what is right. Who's got that? Uh, Greg, could you read out one of those? Whatever you got. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem, for Zion, with the great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they held forward their affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. See God, see the emotions God has? Jealousy, what's that reserved of? That's reserved of a husband who really loves his wife. And somebody looks like they're going to steal, so he feels jealous. He says, oh, somebody's stealing my, my best wife. <laughs> so, God says, I feel jealous. And then what does he say? I was just a little bit displeased. But they help forward my displeasure a great deal. So God feels real feeling. And notice, these are not imaginary adaptations to our way of thinking. They are real feelings. And who's got the other one? Who's got the... Uh, yes, Ron. Have you got it? Yeah, you want to read it out? <laughs> See what? God says he's so happy he will joy over thee with singing. See, it's like God dancing around there, you know, saying, wow, this is so exciting. See? He will save, he will rejoice over thee with singing. These are emotions God has, real emotions. All right, just put those together in the back of your head. God does all of those things. We'll look at light in just a second. have to flash on here. Now we're going to look at man. And when we look at man, we find man is made in the image of God. The father feels, thinks, chooses, and guess what man can do? He can feel, he can think, he can choose. He has a soul, we call that. The Bible word for soul, the basic word is life. That's our essential personality, is who we are. We'll, look, we'll do a big heavy study, maybe, if we get it done, on man's being when we deal with man. He has a soul. And the sun has a body, a material body. So does man. If you want to see what God looks like, this great God who holds the whole universe together, you have to look at the sun, because the sun always demonstrates what the Father is like. Take on a material body. So have you. We've got a material body. And man also has a spirit. And his spirit enables him to be put in contact with the spirit world around him. 
Can you see how we're directly related to God? Now, how are we not related to God? We are not related by his infinity. We were not related that way. Man is finite. Between finite man and infinite God, there is a gap that no time will ever span. There's no way that the finite can ever become infinite. But how are we related to God? We're related because God is a person and we're a person. And he can speak to us. And he said he would speak to us. And that's the basis of the gospel. This great God who put the universe together, who holds it together, can come and speak to us directly and personally. And that is the greatest privilege I know. I don't have to flash on it, throw my head away, because the God who asked me into salvation says, come, let us reason together. I don't have to just say, you know, wham, I suddenly had a tremendous flash and I can't check it with my head. This God says, let's think about this, you and me. What are you doing? And I can intelligently say, wow, I'm not doing very much at all. Uh, and the things that I have done were not too cool, see? And the, the Lord can deal with me here. And he can speak to me no matter where I'm at because I have a spirit and he is spirit. If God was simply another very large being, a hundred foot high, then there's always problems. I only have five senses. I can't get through with my five senses to God all the time. If he lived in a tent over there in Israel, in a hundred foot high tent, I'd have to go over there and talk to my telephone or something. But because God is spirit, he can talk to me anytime he wants to. And anytime I cry out, whether I'm on heading out to a star and Antares out in the furthest out cluster, or if I'm going down to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean diving, he can speak to me directly at any time. There's no place I can get where he can't get to me. And a marvelous thing about this is when he talks to me, I can understand what he's talking about. If he says, I feel sorry for you, I know what, I, I know what he feels. Because I feel sorry for other people. When he says, I hate what you're doing, I understand what he's talking about because I can hate that same thing, only in a tiny little scale. And when God says he's unhappy, he must be unhappy. Because I know what unhappiness is like. Do you see this? We're related because he's a person and we are persons. We're related because he can speak to us. And some people have seen the sun. Of course, if you've been 2,000 years and uh, lived 2,000 years ago, you'd walked around in Israel, you would have seen physical presence of God. God became man, walked among us. And many people through history have seen a physical, either vision or, or manifestation of Jesus. And I could give you a couple of examples. See G. Finney, if you read his autobiography, Charles G. Finney, that great revivalist, a hundred years ago, Sundar Singh, young Indian boy who went out to kill himself because he'd prayed and he couldn't find any reality. And he said, oh God, whoever you are, the one who put the stars together, I give myself to you. If you don't show yourself to me, I'm going to kill myself. He gave God one hour. He put on his best, best robe and he washed up and he got ready to leave. And it was nearly time for him to go. He was going to lay his head on the railway tracks and let the train run over him. And as he finally abandoned his last thing, he, he gave up his last striving to try and find things himself. And he's walking out towards the door and the room lit up with a, with a vision. And he saw the presence of Jesus. 
And the first thing Jesus said to him is, why have you been running from me? Very, very interesting. Now, when we look at this picture of God, we see some marvelous things. And they come from this. They come from the fact that God is uncreated. If you wanted to say, what is the one basic thing that makes God different from man? It would be this. God has never been created. He's always been here. In the beginning, God. And before the beginning, God. And when everything vanishes into nothingness, he'd still be there. And that is a very hard concept to think about. Have you ever tried to wonder how a thing could be uncreated? I have. Not for very long. My head gets sore. But there was a Twilight Zone thing once about a guy who made some spectacles. And they were weird spectacles. He put them on and he, he saw in the room two-dimensional creatures that he'd never seen before. As long as he wore these spectacles, he could see them. Now, I've just drawn on the board a two-dimensional creature. By two dimensions, I mean he doesn't have any thickness this way. See? He's got height and depth and, and width, sort of, if you like, but he hasn't got any fatness. He's not fat this way see he's just he only exists on that board in two planes he can go this way this way and that way but he can't go out now look at this little man and think about him here he is sitting on the blackboard wondering how he got there now i'm going to do a miracle for this little man put some eyes in him Whee! you can see now he couldn't do that before now watch, he's looking up here. I'm going to do something really freaky for this. I created a bird on that board. Now that little man looking at that bird, he is absolutely blowing his mind. If you could look inside his two-dimensional head. See? He is absolutely blowing his mind because he has no possible way of understanding how that bird got on the board. He saw it going there. He actually saw it going sideways and upwards, but it's coming from someplace he doesn't even have a thing to talk about out there, see? The bird came from out here, and there is no out here for this little man on the board. It's just something that freaks him out completely. He has no way of understanding because he, he himself is created. See that? Now watch, I'm going to do another miracle. Weep, weep. <laughs> He's looking for somebody to take him off the asylum now because there's no way he can understand how that second bird got there. And observe. <clears throat> now he's gone. We take him off the two-dimensional asylum because there's no way he can understand that. Do you see that? Now, when we're talking about God being uncreated, that's when we start getting into problems because everything we look at is created. But God has given you one single illustration. And that is the choices you make. Now you think about that. When you make a choice, you create. Right out of your own being. And you do something. Nobody before you told you to do it. Nobody after you told you to do it. You decided you would do it. And where does your choice come from? You think about that. It comes right from your own being. And who does it behind you? Nobody. That's why God gave you a little weeny echo of himself. He gave you the ability to choose. And that makes you related even on that scale to him. Tiny, you have the ability to create. Now look, 
If we go back to God's mighty being, he is uncreated. Nothing about God's being is created. But he can create choices too. He can invent things. Just let us make man. You know, and it happens. God has tremendous energies that come out of being uncreated, not limited by physical being. Can you imagine? You're uncreated. You have no body. No material body. So you've got the whole universe and more. You invent the universe, you know. Nobody. Secondly, since your being fills all of reality and is all of reality, you know everything there is to know. Now we're going to define this biblically. Every now and then, while you're witnessing, you'll bump into somebody that says, if God is so smart, can he think up a problem so big he can't solve it? Ha, ha, ha. The answer to that is no. And the answer, because the definition of God's knowledge is, is that he knows every single knowable thing. There's something that is able to be known, God knows it. There's something that is impossible to know because it doesn't exist or it's an, it's an illusion or something like this and it's not actually there or it's just a game with words, then the answer is no. Putting God in that question doesn't make it sensible. Thing. And because God is in nobody, he's in all places at once. Do you see how the Eastern man got a bit messed up here? Eastern man said, aha! You know, this is God's presence, the scene and everything, so this is God. Here's a, this is God you're sitting on. Here's a little part of God sitting on the seat. Pen you're writing with is a little bit of God. The trees are God, the stars are God. God messed up between God's creation and God himself. Why does this eraser hold together? Why is this eraser an eraser? Well, because it's solid. But what is the solidness of this eraser? Yeah, matter. And what makes matter? Yeah, molecules and atoms. And what is an atom made of? And what is an electron made of? Right? And why does it stay a little traveling thing and not fall apart? Very interesting. See? Colossians 1 tells us why the atom doesn't fall apart and why a proton stays a proton and why a neutron stays a neutron and why a meson stays a meson and why a neutrino stays a neutrino. Only it doesn't use those words. <laughs> Colossians 1 is a cool scripture to mark. Show it to your physics teacher. <laughs> Colossians 1 verse 16, for by the Son, talking about Jesus is the one who creates all things created that are in earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, the uncreated, see? And by him all things consist. See that word? That word means hold together. Hold together. God holds everything together. That's what it says. 
That's why I don't believe God can break his promises. If he broke one promise, you'd never know about it. Because you and the whole universe would fall apart. He upholds the universe by his promises. He says, you stay that way, and it does. Matter of fact, there's no scientific reason why the whole universe ought not to self-destruct in 1.5 seconds. No reason why this thing flipping around there at random should stay flipping around there like random. It could fall apart. <clears throat> and then everything you're sitting on, including you, would go out into nothingness. And a great inburst of energy that... <laughs> <laughs> and silence again in the universe. God holds it together, that's why. Now, uh, see this uncreated thing? We learn one more thing about being uncreated, and that's this. Because God has no beginning, no body, He can be all places at once, He can know everything knowable, and He has all power. Understand about those things were written on the board. That's not something that God decided he would have. Have a look at your own body. Look at your hands. All right? Did you decide you'd have hands like that? Have a look at your face in the mirror. Oh! <laughs> Did you decide you'd have a face like that? They say, I don't think God is very fair. He got me a lot of stuff, you know. I look at my body, I say, oh, Lord, I didn't decide to have a body like this, and I haven't helped it much at all since that time. But do you know there are some things God never decided to have either? He's always had them because of who he is. Now, I have no power over my body. I can't change it. Jesus said I can't make, just by thinking I can't alter one of my hair and make it white or black. I could put some clear oil on it or something like that and do that. And... If I worry enough, I can make it white, but you try and change it back black just by thinking about it. See? I can't add an inch to my height just by thinking about it. I have some limits on my body. It's here. I have this body. I didn't ask for it. It's the one I've got. Praise the Lord, I'm going to get a new one one day, and you wait till you see my new body. <laughs> You'll recognize me in heaven as being the after picture in the, <laughs> instead of the before picture. Now, God's body, or being, I couldn't call it really body, God's being is one that he's always had. He didn't ask for it, it's just what he has, because of who he is. And all these powers flow naturally out of who God is. It's not something he decided, I will have all knowledge, I will see, it's just boom, this is what he is. And it's all come out of this one thing. God is uncreated. No beginning. No end. Therefore, all places at once, no physical being, knows everything, all power, naturally. That's not what God has decided to do with his powers, though. That's different. This is what God is, naturally. There's a whole bunch of things that God decides to do. And that's where we talk about God being moral. When we look at God and find out who he is, when we look at the king and say, who are you, king? He could talk to us about what he is just naturally. 
the most beautiful studies in the Bible, and this is the ones we're not going to get much time to get into, is what God has chosen to do with his power. Now, I want you to think just for a brief second, if you were God, what it would be like. Suddenly, as you sit there, your little being dissolves and goes, and fills the whole universe. Instant access to everybody's mind in this place. All power so you could destruct the whole universe if you just, you know, boom, say, undo, and it goes, and all collapses. Can be at any place in the universe at once. Your power is holding the whole physical universe together, so your power is practically actually there. All knowledge. Now imagine what you would, would you, if you were God, all right? Think about it for a little while. Then imagine if you made a little peanutty man in your own image. Put this tiny little thing together here. You're actually holding the whole electrons together that make up his being. Then you give him a unique gift. You give him the ability to create choices. You give him the ability to think and feel just a little bit like you do. And you can feel for this little creature because you know how he feels like. See, you're looking at him and he's feeling things and looking around and looking at... Soon you know everything about him. You're holding him together there. And then imagine what happens when this little creature looks around and he says, where are you, God? You want to fight? <laughs> now you think about that for a while. What would you do if you were God? <laughs> you want to fight God? I don't think you're as big as you're supposed to be. I went up into heaven and looked and you weren't there. I went in a rocket ship, God, I went 6,000 miles. I didn't see you anywhere. Ha ha. Ha ha. Well, I'd say that little weeny peanutty creature kept on getting on your nerves. <laughs> now, what would you do if you had all those powers that things there? See, you're holding this little dude together. You're making his heart keep going, see? I hate you, God! I'm going to write a book against you! See, what you do? I know what you do. Really? Hmm. Turn him into a little yellow and purple thing with octopus sucker eyes. It goes... Wouldn't you? That'll teach you a lesson. And the same goes for the rest of you dudes. See? What would you do if you were God and you had all of those things? Can you imagine somebody trying to take God on in a fight? It's all right, God. You want a showdown. Where are you? Inside you. How do you fight that? Then you realize, he's after me. Wow, all this power, he's after me. Jump in a rocket ship. <laughs> Head out to the furthest star system. Seven light years later. Hello. <laughs> you turn around, fly back to Earth. Jump in a 
submarine down into the bottom of the ocean, cover yourself over with mud. Hello? What do you do? How do you run away from a god? And then you're thinking up some schemes on how you can defeat him. Your little creative mind's working all these fantastic schemes of how to throw God off your throne. And there is God looking at every thought as you think it up. <laughs> Already knows every possible thing you could ever possibly think up, and he could think up a whole bunch more for you. And you know, sitting there watching, what a ridiculous thing it is. And then power. Here are you going to pitch your power. Oh, God, I know how to make a cobalt bomb. You come down, God, I'll really fix you with this cobalt bomb. See? You want to fight God? I've mastered the atom. God says, <laughs> I invented the atom. You know? <laughs> what, a, what a weird thing to fight God. And if somebody really hurts you because you're really a person, what would you do to them? And that, my friends, is where the most marvelous study in the whole Bible comes in. This God, with all that he is naturally, has chosen to love. And that is the most mind-blowing thing in the universe. That this God, even though he can really be hurt because he really has feelings and he really thinks and he really chooses, he can really be hurt by his tiny little things that he made to share in the great happiness he had. This great God has chosen to be loving. That is where the king's real beauty begins. Not in who he is, but in what he has chosen to be. And when God says to us, Be ye holy, for I am holy, is one of the most profound things in the universe. God says, You be like me, because I've chosen to be like this. When people hurt you, do what I do. Do you see this? When God says, I am love, he's not talking about something that is just part of his physical being. He's talking about something he has chosen to be. When God gives us a comparison like this and says, you do this because I do that, God is telling us he is actually choosing to be what he is. He's using all these energies of his being lovingly instead of frighteningly. He's using them constructively and wisely despite his own hurt from this little tiny creation he upholds. He's actually choosing to stoop and help them and care for them and come and die for them. That is the God of the Bible. And that is the most profound thing I know of in the Bible. We did a study on the attributes of God with, on, his feet, you know, on what he feels like. We, we never finished this thing, I tell you. It's the words used for God. You know, there's a word, uh, it's a word graciousness, and it means... The willingness to stoop in humility to an inferior. Have you ever seen a snail with the little eyes that come out at the end of the stalks? Have you ever seen one of those little snails? And it keeps its eyes in two little stalks and they come out. 
can they look around like this in different places, see? Uh, you when know, we were little kids, we used to look at that eye and go, Bwee! you know, I'd touch it and go, whoop, and it'd pull itself in. You know that, you know that, that sensitivity of its little eyes sticking out on the end of those stalks? The word graciousness in the Bible has to do with the willingness to stoop. And so tender. It's like those little snails and eyes pulling back. It's a word of infinite tenderness. Can you imagine the God who lit the stars in their fury? Coming down to make an ant and put his feelers on. See that? And there's only one thing that helps me when I look at the stars, not get scared of God. When I look at a little cell and I find that little spirogyra or something freaking around with his little legs, God made him too. The same God who put all that vast energy there stoops down in kindness to tiny little things. And I'm stuck right in the middle. There's that gigantic cosmos up there, very large, and the tiny little microcosmos down here, and I'm right in the middle. And therefore, if he can take care of that and that, he can sure take care of the one in the middle. Do you see that? Glory! <laughs> I better stop. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have just begun to look at you. There's no way we can ever handle who you are. No way we can even talk about one marvelous thing about yourself in one session. If we had a day, oh God, we could not go through the things that you would have to say about the glories and beauties of the King. If we had a week, oh God, we could not finish it. If we had a month or a year or a century. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life that we will have forever to inquire in the beauty of the Lord at his holy temple to find out just how great you really are. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. All right, so there's a little taste of uh, what you need to know about the attributes of God. Attributes meaning what God is like. Uh, talked a little bit about both his um, natural attributes, in other words, the things that he has no control over, the things that he is naturally, as well as his moral attributes, the things that he chooses to be. And uh, I know when I first heard about this, this was uh, a real revelation, even just to think about the idea that there is a difference between what God is and what he chooses to be. So it's very cool. Uh, again, I would encourage you, if you if you uh, found these interesting, to go to the uh, moh.org website and watch the little videos there, or if you want to put them, uh, put them on a big screen, go to winkypratney.com and get these so that you can show them to your home group or your, your church or something like that. Um, this is uh, one of the most compelling series <laughs> that I've, I've ever heard. It's, it's so important that we know who God is and what he's like and how he deals with his universe and with us. So, um, again, this is more like just a trailer, but it's something to whet your appetite, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.